Yeah, corporate finance is like, well, Kevin, how do we make more money? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I want to know your story, big corporate man. And he's like, right. my story is I want more money. Welcome to another episode of Are You Ready for Another? The ongoing conversation about life, beer, and what lies ahead. I'm Michael Moyer. And I'm Kevin Murphy. Let's get started. All right, Kevin. So episode number 10. Boom. Number 10. Lucky number 10. Yeah. I think we need... um. <laughs> like a special episode graphic or something to yeah absolutely celebrate <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I truthfully i didn't ever think we would do 10 full episodes especially with the birth of my daughter i know well it's it's crazy to think like back on episode one and just how far we've come <laughs> in 10 weeks exactly you know we we went from basically never doing this to being somewhat decent at it i guess i I don't know every episode is a a learning process yeah a a little better we we do change our change our ways a little better just to make things and you know eventually we'll release our uh what do you call it our pilot episode that we did with the 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 iphone as the recorder in my basement (laughs) like six months ago right (laughs) which uh which how was that like um I don't know if you ever told me how how I, I never listened to it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think I like made sure I, it played and stuff, but yeah, I okay. should. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll save that for the hundredth anniversary. That'll right. be our, our episode one hundred. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just a fair warning. We were pretty uh, hammered by the time we started recording it. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure it's uh, it's a beautiful conversations. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a, a bush light night, definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I know your hangovers can be pretty rough, but are there nights when you have to work the next day? And how do you deal with going to work? Uh, is there ever a time when you're like, oh, no, it's going to be a Kevin hangover and, and you're just not going to be able to do it and you have to call off? Or are you normally able to power through it? You know what? Luckily, I've not had to call off. I, I usually try to set myself up so I don't you know, have a Kevin hangover. So for instance, like, even even after like we finish we finish co- recording tonight like even though i'm not drinking like 12 beers or something like that i still try to make sure i always drink like yeah. a, a full glass of water before i go to bed just because it's like i need i you know i just i can't be rocked <laughs> going into work well describe everyone what a kevin hangover entails <laughs> so a kevin hangover is essentially like I wake up and I'm pretty sure that when I do wake up I'm probably still drunk. That's why I I I feel like I'm okay. You wake up you're like, "Man, I'm feeling pretty good." Yeah. No hangover for me today. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't a bad night. And then it just progressively gets worse. Like the as as the hours go by, it just like my body just starts shutting down and I'm just like <laughs> you know, either getting sick or I just, I can't like get comfortable. Like some people can just like, oh, sleep it off. But like, I can never even get like comfortable enough to like just fall asleep for a few hours. Mm -hmm. Um, So luckily I haven't had like what I would consider a true Kevin hangover in a while. Um, There's been remnants here and there, but um, like the, the like 
full day of just being able to not do anything. Uh, you know, luckily I haven't, I haven't had one of those in a while, but it just, it, it sucks because <laughs> you think I would have learned by now that, you know, my body just can't handle it the the way it used to. But, uh, I guess that doesn't stop me once you get a few bush lights in me. <laughs> they just taste so good on the lips. It's hard to stop. That's right. And then I'm like, yeah, let's party. <laughs> let's <keep> going. <laughs> uh, so what's the beer you're starting with tonight? So tonight I have, it's, uh, it's called Sibling Rivalry Brewery, and it's called Swing State, which the, the brewery is here in Ohio, which Ohio is a, a swing state. So it's kind of cool if you look on the, the link I shared in the notes. Um, the, the graphic designer did a cool thing with the logo. Like the outline of the word swing state is like in the shape of Ohio. So I I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. So tonight I'm drinking. It's a special one. Katie told me she's like, I pulled out some unique beers, but I want to drink them too. So uh-huh. I had to go pour her some. It's Urban Family Brewing Company and they're out of Seattle. Okay. <clears throat> it's called Flooded Heart and it's a fruited sour ale with cranberries and orange zest. So if you're not huh. a fan of sours, I would stay right. far, far away, but it is very zesty and it's, it's almost like orange juice, <laughs> like, <laughs> like that amount of zest, you yeah. know, like yeah. I could see if you just brushed your teeth and then you went to drink this, you'd be like, Ugh. yeah, <laughs> um, but, uh, it's, I, I don't know. I'm a big fan of sours, so yeah, uh, it's really good. I, I don't know if I would say, like, I'm a huge fan of sours yet, but I will say that the the few that I've tried, like, when I've been with you, and I think you've, like, brought some nice bottles of stuff, I've liked. Um, but it's not something that, like, I seek out yet. Yeah. And I, I think it's it's definitely becoming, you know, something that I could see myself drinking a lot more. It's just, it's never... Um, you know, it's never really on the the forefront of my mind when I'm trying to you know pick out a beer. But um, yeah, I I wish I could, because you really don't see them too much in, in in stores, do do you? Or am I just overlooking them? No, I think you do. I, I'm not sure about the Kroger near you. Okay. Kroger generally has a pretty decent beer selection. Yeah, I don't yeah. know about sours though. Um, ah, okay. But it might just be something where you're not really paying attention to it, so you might not notice them, you know, because they're right. not just like, you know, hey, sour is the main yeah. word, you know. <laughs> Big bold letters, yeah. sour. Yeah, like the, yeah. the name of this one is Flooded Heart, but then in small uh-huh. type underneath it says Fruited uh, Sour oh, okay. Ale, you know. But okay. There's nothing really on the logo that says, hey, I'm a sour. It's not like there's a stinky beer face or something. Right. <laughs> 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 Which it's weird because I don't really like sour. Like, do you like sour stuff? Like, did you ever like the sour stuff when you were a kid? Like Sour Patch Kids or, you know, sour gummies. I, it, it's kind of weird. It's it's probably how I like sour beers right now. Okay. I would never buy a six pack of sour beer and take that to a party and drink all six, right? I might buy one and then the rest would be IPAs or something. And... I, I kind of feel that way when I was a kid. Like I liked sour things like Sour Patch Kids or something every now and then or gummy worms that were sour, mm-hmm. you know, but mm-hmm. it wasn't something like I was like, oh, my God, I want these all the time. You know, it was just yeah. it was something every now and then that I liked to, 
you know, taste and stuff. And I kind of feel the same with the, with the beer. I really like sours, but it's not like, hey, for the next six months, every episode of the show, you need to only drink sours. I'd be like, oh. yeah. <laughs> but you know, if you told me I had to drink IPAs every time, I'd be like, oh, okay. So, uh, so what are we going to talk about tonight? Well, um, because we've run out of ideas, we're going to talk about the most boring <laughs> subject ever, which is. <laughs> Our work life. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but hopefully we'll be able to not make him porn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I guess we could start out with what we technically, quote unquote, do for work right now. Okay. Um, so, yeah, what, what would you say it is you do here? My official title is I am a paraplanner or sometimes it's referred to a parafinancial planner. And basically, I do kind of all of the back office type of stuff before a client comes in for their meeting. So that is preparing Excel sheets, preparing financial plans, updating. That way, the the investment numbers are current. The um, you know the net worth is current. Um, if there's any questions that the client might have, I might like you know highlight them or something. That way, you know, the the planner can quickly look at it and know those are the questions they need to address. So I'm kind of essentially doing all the heavy lifting before the client gets to their meeting. That way, the planner can just come in and, you know, sit down and, you know, do kind of all of the the client facing uh, uh, work uh, along with, you know, you know, answering their questions and going over that stuff. But I kind of do the you know, the, the heavy lifting, so to speak. Yeah. Do you have a business card with that title on it? Uh, currently, no, I do not have a business card. Um, the financial planning practice that I work at is, is a pretty small practice. Um, it's, it's very much a, uh, uh, you know, you're kind of in, uh, with any type of small business, everybody kind of wears multiple hats. And so it's just, kind of the um i want to say the the refinement that you see with like maybe a bigger firm or something where you you have a business card and and you have these fancy email signatures and stuff like that we were we're just not kind of there yet mm-hmm. um and i think it could be something that i i could bring up as as far as like um kind of just refining the brand a little bit yeah. but um you know, I think that's uh, a conversation for another day. Do you have any email signature right now? Does anyone in the company? Yeah, so that that's kind of how it is. It's just title, you know, name, title, you know, address, phone number, email. Um, but it's not like a, a, a nice, pretty looking graphic or, you know, with our logo or anything like that. So, And truthfully, that's the best practice is what you're doing right now. Yeah. Any anybody that includes a logo in an email is breaking email standard protocol. Um, okay. Designing for emails is like stuck in 1994. There's a thousand email clients. Every email client displays stuff differently. Yeah. And so whenever I would have a client come in and say, "I want a fancy email and I want this big graphic," we'd really try and push them away to not have a graphic. Uh, yeah. Because up until like six years ago, when phones became much more prevalent, okay, email applications defaulted to not loading images. You know, do you remember having to be like, oh yeah, download pictures in this oh, email? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, well, in the mm-hmm. corporate world, 
that's still the default for a large majority of companies because right. if you have 100,000 employees and every single uh, employee is getting an email with a one megabyte image file, that's one megabyte times 100,000, right? That, yeah. <laughs> that their yeah. email servers are getting hounded with. So I would say what you're doing right now is stick with it. It's clean, it's yeah. elegant, it works, it displays exactly how you'd right. want it to across every single email client. So the day right. your boss comes in and says, hey, let's put this fancy graphic in, yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe you'll have a little fire to say, you know what, let's let's keep it simple. Right, right. Um, <laughs> Which that's kind of completely counter to, to what I, I previously believed. Mm-hmm. I, you know, until you just said that, I thought, you know, that having a very slick looking logo at the bottom of your email kind of, um, showed a level of professionalism that you know yeah. you don't you know you don't get, but that's that's a very good point of, of how most emails come in. I mean, my emails come in, and you got to click on the yeah. display images. Yeah. So yeah, um, so yeah, it's something to think about. And it's not to say that you couldn't still do something subtle, like the name is maybe two font sizes larger. Um, it's bolded. And yeah. then every other line is the same weight or something. Right. You know, you can do certain things to kind of right spruce it up a little bit. Right. But, um, I'll, I'll have to. I'll have to uh, send you a picture of it. Maybe you can uh, give me some suggestions of yeah. how to yeah. kind of add a little little zhuzh to it. <laughs> a little zhuzh. <laughs> so, uh, Michael, what do you what do you do for a living? Um, well, my technical title is creative manager, but I would say. Uh, an easier thing for some people to understand um, is graphic designer. Uh And um, the graphic design world is kind of funny because there's literally a ladder you can follow. Like when you're in graphic design school, they'll be like, you'll start out as a graphic designer and then a junior graphic designer and then a senior graphic. Like Mm. it's like all these paths up to art director and vice president of Mark, you know, like all the the stuff. (laughs) Yeah. But then when you actually get in the real world, it doesn't really work out that way, you know? Right. Um, Right. So because of what I do isn't just technically graph design in the traditional sense, a graph designer is literally just a designer trying to communicate information. Right. Mm -hmm. It was different from the old way of like, Oh, I'm just an artist. I am a, a, just a, an artist. I just make art. Well then you had advertising, that was like posters and stuff and you had to have a yeah. message hey the concert is on saturday at 6 p.m at you know memod people making those posters could technically be considered themselves graph designers because they're taking this information and trying to display it in a way that's mm-hmm. effective and communicates easily right. and quickly and all that stuff um and that's kind of how the profession was born and gotcha <clears throat> so I, I i work for a very large company that has a few graph designers ranging from projects of um just presentation support for a lot of our like senior executives they go do a lot of talks all over the world so they'll need to present in front of clients or in front of Mm -hmm. external people um we have a web presence that constantly needs um graphical support with updates and stuff but with my background in computer science i kind of have two hats that i wear is this graph design side but then i also have this technical side with a lot of the web development and email marketing and Hence why I'm a little knowledgeable on email footers. <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> and, and you're not the only one that thinks putting a graphic or something in an email footer zhuzhes it up, you know? Yeah, um, but yeah. then I have to kind of push back a little bit. One, not only is it against corporate policy, so I have this little line in our corporate branding guidelines that says we're not allowed to do it. But mm-hmm. two, it just kind of helps to remind people um, that, yes, it might 
seem cool and nice to have, but there is a reason why it's not there to begin with. It's not like yeah. the the corporate branding team was like, you know what? We never even thought about putting graphics in the <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so do you think um, that there would ever be an instance where it, it it is a good idea to to do like a fancy graphic at the bottom, or is it like that? Yeah. There's never. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like email marketing is a huge opportunity to have graphical elements, right? Right. Um, newsletters, you're, you're marketing to people, etc. And for a long time, um, what you would try and design an email, if you were marketing a product, is you would try and say, okay, what is this email going to look like when Kevin Murphy has his pictures blocked at first, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want yeah. when Kevin Murphy open when you Kevin open up the email. We don't want you to see just blank gibberish with lines and stuff. There are all these blocks, right? Right. We want to think. Okay, we can still have color. So if if we have color with text, if our our company's blue and we have the blue background with white text, if Kevin opens the email but he blocks images, we'll still be able to get the product title. You know, mm-hmm. it's this uh, fancy shoe, right? The fancy right. shoe two thousand. Um, most people would just make that in the graphic. Fancy Shoe 2000, the graphic. Well, Kevin's not seeing that. You know, it's $100 off. So what we would do is make sure that the actual important stuff is only in the text. Yeah. But So there's lots of opportunities that you can have that graphical stuff. The main time you don't want it is just, hey, Kevin, I'm emailing you about meeting on Tuesday, right? And it's literally just, hey, can you meet on Tuesday? Or it's an introductory... Um, letter to a prospective client. Um, my name is Michael Moyer, and I, I, I'm glad that we met last week at the expo. Um, I told you I'd reach out to you, and this is me reaching out. Here's my phone number, et cetera, et cetera. You wouldn't mm-hmm. want anything graphical or fancy there because right. you've already made that connection, or you're hoping to make a greater connection, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So the the graphical footer just kind of adds a little complexity to the thing that doesn't really need to be that way. Do you like what you do? Yeah, I I really do enjoy it. Um, I I think what I really enjoy about it is you have to be so detail oriented, and I am extremely detail oriented as a person. So, like that, I mean, it's it's like what what I'm doing <laughs> is like just what I do normally, like on a normal you know, aspect, but now it's like dealing with other people's stuff and, and, you know, accuracy is so, so important. Like you can't get these numbers wrong in order to have the, the numbers reflect as real as possible because the, the thing that's tricky with, with, um, a lot of the clients is, Sometimes we don't have access to their stuff. They have to send stuff to us. Mm-hmm. There might be an instance where they send us the wrong thing. It's it's giving me the wrong numbers that that I I really need to work with. So a lot of times I actually have to reverse engineer it. I have to use algebra to say, you know, x plus you know, x times this number equals this number. That way I can get the numbers I need to be able to reflect the, you know, the most accurate numbers possible. So, and, you know, another reason why I think I really enjoy what I do is I don't, you know, like I don't, 
it's it's basically it's it's something that I could do and not get paid for it and still enjoy doing it. And I think that is a very good um, kind of mile marker to say you're you're on the right track of of what you do is because I just I generally enjoy what I do. And I, you know, I, I mean, I, yes, I love getting paid who doesn't, but I could also like do this stuff like as a hobby or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So, yeah. Well, that's good because did you ever see yourself, if you had asked 15 year old Kevin when, you know, you're trying to prepare for college or not college, et cetera. Um, did you ever see yourself doing something like this? Was, was this job even anywhere in your mind or anyone in your family thought that you would be doing something like this? No, I don't, I don't even think it was even on the radar. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's crazy because I mean, I think I've always been really detail, detail oriented, but the, the cool thing about financial planning and, and kind of what I do is for a long time, people that went into to finance in college, it's all corporate finance. And, you know, that's great if you want to deal with that kind of corporate, you know, mindset of X equals this and, and you're just very stringent about things and and counting standards and stuff like that. But what's cool about financial planning is they talk about a lot about how you're dealing with people's lives and you're dealing with people's emotions and their kind of um, biases that they have. It's a lot more complex, but it also deals a lot more with just like helping people through it, you know, helping people think through things, you know, Um, people might have several thousands, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars saved up, but they still don't feel like they're worth anything or something like that. So you would have to be able to encourage them to, you can spend this money. It's okay to spend this money. I don't think I would ever see myself doing it, but as I look at myself with a person and and just kind of being you know more empathetic in general towards people, mm-hmm. and then like also having this being very detail oriented, but also kind of having this there's there's more to it i mean that's a, that's a lot of things that that go on is you know l- let me learn about let me learn your story let let me know about your family you know and that those are things that you're not going to find in kind of like corporate finance stuff is is it's just very cut and dry boom 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 it's not like i want to know your story behind it you know and yeah. and there's some amazing amazing stories that you hear and there's still things that you know that that come up and and surprise you so Mm -hmm. yeah corporate finance is like well kevin how do we make more money yeah (laughs) you're like i want to know your story big corporate man he's like right my story is i want more money yeah (laughs) you get you got it you kind of in a way you get to look into a crystal ball and not only do you get to to see the people that have worked all their life and is getting ready to retire. Yeah. And so you could be like, you know, that, that could be me, but also you get to kind of see the side of where, you know, where this person come from, what, what did they do with their life? You know, like it's just that complexity of everything. It's, it's, it's just cool. It's yeah. it's cool hearing all of that stuff. Huh. So, Sorry, that was kind of really long-winded. <laughs> That's what this show is about, Kevin. <laughs> long-winded. 
Yeah, long form podcast. Long form. Yep. So rewind twenty years. Do you think that young Michael would be doing what he's doing today? If you remember a few episodes ago, I said when I was like nine or ten, you know, I wanted to make fifty thousand dollars and have mm-hmm. two kids in a house. Again, don't know where that came from. Um, I still had that mentality going into high school when you know the mm-hmm. conversation of what what college are you going to go to um and my parents never said you know you're definitely going to college but because adam went to college it was almost like in the back of my mind there was no other option right right so i was always like well of course i have to go to college there was not even a question and mm-hmm. i remember Art teachers would tell me, you know, I should stick with it because I had a talent for it, that type of thing. Um, I wasn't the best artist by any means, but, you know, I I was pretty decent at it. And then when I get into high school, I never stopped taking art classes. But right around junior year, when I really started looking at colleges and I looked at like, I never looked at like Ivy League schools, um, but I definitely looked at some pretty like high ranking schools in, in different mm-hmm. fields um yeah. at the time i didn't even know a graphic artist or graphic designer existed and so i was just kind of looking at art schools and at that point yeah. it was just more like oh i'd go there to be a drawer or a painter or something and and then i started seeing like that you know they'd publish you would get like college magazines that would show the salaries mm-hmm. of people you know yeah and it's like <laughs> fine arts majors make an average of twenty five thousand dollars a year and right right like some of the best professions for them were teachers right but the art teachers don't really ever make much um even after working 30 years you know they might be on yeah. the l- lower tier and stuff right. so i started seeing that right and i'm seeing twenty five thousand dollars and and I was like, huh, okay. And, and at the time, I was like, holy crap, that's a lot of money to me right. in high school. But then uh-huh. when I'd start seeing other stuff, like computer scientists making $65,000 a year out of college, that's a huge discrepancy. In high school, I mean, I was good with computers. I could build them. You know, I tinkered with them. I took some computer science classes and stuff. But I really, like, took that to heart and was like, well, going into computer science. <laughs> you know, like... My dad was in computers. Adam went into computers. Yeah. It, it, it seemed it, kind of like playing trumpet. It was by default, right? Even though I wanted to be a saxophone player. Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I thought it's cheaper to be a trumpet player. And in this regard, right. it was like, well, nobody in the family's an artist. <laughs> it's more of a hobby, right? So let's go with computer science. Fast forward two years in computer science. And I, I was still taking some art classes at the time, like one or two a year, you know, just to mm-hmm. kind of, cause I, I, you can always have an elective and they're fun and stuff. But I, I went and right. saw a, um, a, a guy speak. Um, he was a, a former OU student, a four U OU graphic designer, uh, graphic design student, um, name of Dan Walsh. And right. he like went down the process of like at the time BP had just redone their logo and I never really thought about it, but I was just, I remember BP changing their logo and being like, Oh, that's silly. Why'd they do that? But then when I started reading more about logos and the thought process behind them, seeing the FedEx arrow for the first time, you know, it was kind of mind blowing, um, yeah. all that stuff. And I just kind of opened my eyes to be like, Oh my goodness. Like I didn't know this was a possibility. And so I immediately, yeah left that, went to uh, the library and found whatever booklet that said, you know, 
how much people make doing stuff. <laughs> and graph designer, as a fine artist, was on the higher end. It was still no computer science. You know, I'm not, never going to be making you know computer engineering uh, money, right? Yeah. But it yeah. was <laughs> it was not 25. It was like high 30s or early 40s, and I was like, oh man, okay, I could make a living doing that. If you had told me. Michael, would you be working and drawing and using art for a living? I would say, no, that'll just be a hobby. You know, I was two years in on computer science and I pivoted. Right. Yeah. And it was really scary because you had to take a year worth. I, I was trying to catch up. So I had to take two years worth of art classes in one year to be able to apply for the graphic design program at OU at the end of the year. And it wasn't guaranteed that I was going to get in. Because once you get mm-hmm. into the program, it's two years no matter what. It's not like a, yeah. a lot of programs where you can kind of, you know, oh, I'll take three classes this quarter and two classes this quarter. It's like, no, they have a set schedule of the program. So if I didn't uh-huh. get in my junior year, at the end of my junior year in college, I would have either had to, A, wait until the very end of next year. So I've been four uh-huh. years before I actually started the program. Or switch programs, which they recommend a lot of people do. Huh. And so, you know, you submit your portfolio at the end. And it's like nerve wracking because then you go pick it up, right? Like you don't talk to anyone. It's not like you're presenting in front of everyone because you've already had all these professors. So it's all about your interactions with the professors, not just your work. It's a combination of both. And you literally go pick it up and it was like pouring outside and I had my giant portfolio and you open it up and there's just this little letter that it's like a rejection letter or an acceptance letter. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) And like I remember sitting in my car and reading the acceptance letter because I already knew at that point, well, I'm not going to graduate in four years, right? I mean, I could have tried to change my degree. OU has a thing where you can kind of make it your own degree up, uh, right. but it's kind of hard right. to do that. And so I was like, well, at that point, I was already going to go five years no matter what just because I'd done this huge pivot. And I'm, I'm glad I did, you know, because uh-huh. it's worked out and uh-huh. I, I love what I do and stuff. But right. I just I, – I, I wonder, like, if I had applied the year – earlier or a year later you know probably wouldn't have worked out but it just it seemed i was just like on a mission after like kind of floundering with computer science for two years on this you know i'd be in the class and i'd just be like this is just not coming to me like i thought it would and when i saw that speech by dan walsh and he actually came back and became a professor a visiting professor for two years doing these kind of creative things has afforded me the opportunity to do things that i didn't think i would be a part of whether it's you know working with someone high up at microsoft and you have to give me access to the branding portal microsoft so you know it's not anything like really cool it's not like i'm making commercials for microsoft or anything that a lot of my peers Mm. uh, from college do but i'm still like trusted with these resources right Right. (laughs) you know i can't just be like (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna make your logo that's square into a rectangle So uh, what are you drinking for your second beer? So I have a Goose Island Bourbon Country Brand Stout. This Mm. was gifted to us by our friends Jeff and Jen. You know, remember old uh, roommate Jeff? Yeah. yeah. Um, They they live in Chicago and they brought this back. So I think this is some pretty fancy stuff that um, Goose Island's been making. Huh. Um. This is particular bottle is the 2018 bottle, and even the top label has a little thing that says, you know, develops in the bottle up to five years. So they're, like, really trying to push it as, like, hey, you know, you can keep this up to five years and get a even different taste. So huh. we, have, we have two bottles. So 
uh, I'm drinking this one. It's really good, actually. And okay. everyone knows that I like my bourbon barrel aged stuff, and this one is no uh, slouch in that department. I yeah. <laughs> so my second beer is uh, 19 Crimes Dry Hopped Pilsner. And those who are not familiar, 19 Crimes, um, up until this point, has been just making wine, but they have these really cool augmented reality labels that you can download an app, and essentially the the prisoner, that the criminal on the, um, the label, he, he'll speak and kind of tell his story. <laughs> um, but I found this, this link that, that we'll share... And it's really cool. It says, um, having served five years exclusively in the wine category, 19 Crimes will add an India Pale Ale, a Pilsner, and a Lager to its hit list starting March 1st. The inside job will take place in the U.S. with beers first being tested in Ohio before expanding to other states in, in 2019. And then it says, Ohio, believe it or not, the Buckeye State is the 11th most craft has the 11th most craft breweries in the country at 225 and produces the fifth most barrels each year. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's safe to say Ohioans will give 19 crimes a a heavy and honest taste. (laughs) So so I think that's pretty cool that um, Ohio is uh, first on the the round for, for 19 crimes. But yeah, it's, it's good. I, I like it. This Pilsner, um, I could definitely see me drinking this a lot this summer. It's just very light and crisp uh, Pilsner, and it just I could see myself chilling out by the pool, just drinking these. So, have you ever heard the saying "dress for the job you want, not the one you have"? Yeah. So, when you dress up for work, what is expected of you, and do you try and go above that, or are you just? No, I, I honestly, I, I always try to go above and beyond. Um, and so at, at my work, um, suits are a little too formal. So I just do like uh, dress shirts, dress slacks. I care about my appearance. So like I, I think I take extra steps and, and like nobody else might notice, but I will notice there's this whole kind of research and and thought behind the clothes that you wear it actually has like a psychological effect on you and you know a a good example is a football player probably would never go out and play in, in sweats but you know when he puts on those pads when he puts on that helmet it puts him in that mindset that he needs to be in and I think that's true with, with any profession. And so, like, by putting on, you know, nice clothes that are ironed and and just feeling like I'm taking extra steps to, like, really put myself together, it kind of prepares me mentally in the morning to say, all right, I'm going in, you know, I'm kind of, I'm suiting up for battle, you know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. I got to put myself in that frame of mind. And I think it also gives me a lot more confidence when I'm dressed a lot nicer because, you know, I, from time to time I, I do get questions and stuff and, 
And I think, I mean, I still have trouble with like kind of being confident enough that because I'm always just like, oh, well, what if I say something wrong and I tell somebody the wrong thing? It kind of boosts confidence a little bit, too. So if you were in ripped jeans and vans, right, (laughs) and somebody came in asking about their five hundred thousand dollar portfolio or whatever that right they wanted Uh they're gonna be like okay who's the grown-up i can talk to in this situation you know like (laughs) exactly but if if you're dressed up they'll be more comfortable to talk to you you know yeah Um, yeah and you know it's a good way of like putting it because what's funny is okay dc dress is super suited right um when you're near the white house where my one job was everybody was in suits uh-huh. Every single person on the train was in suits, except for tourists. So that's that's the immediate way you could tell if it was a tourist to the city is because they were just dressed normally, right, or casually. Right. Uh-huh. But full tie, suit, jacket, everything. And um, casual Fridays were literally just, okay, you can have your tie a little loose. <laughs> <laughs> when I was in Seattle, I didn't go into the office much. I mainly worked from home. But uh-huh. I remember when Katie went to her like first day there, everybody was making fun of her for how overdressed she was. <laughs> <laughs> and she dressed the same she did in DC, right? Right. And so it was, but it was Seattle. Like the culture there was, I could probably go to Seattle every day. I might wear a jacket, a sport jacket, right? But walking around the office, you don't really need it. You could probably have, you wouldn't have a tie on. You just have the first button undone. Um, maybe have your sleeves rolled up maybe but Uh you know it was definitely much more casual uh environment even in those instances because technically i'm still on 24 7 for some of our big events like working um so i'll still have a full suit because what i've learned is when i try and be like oh it says i don't need this and then i will show up and there'll be somebody our CEO will be there and I'll meet the CEO for the first time. Right. And you want to make that impression just like that impression you're making with your clients every time. Right. Right. Exactly. Other people in my company, that is a 90,000 plus person company. I hope to stay with this company and you know, who knows? It's all about connections you make. Right. And if they remember me as the, the schlub that wore jeans, even though I was technically allowed to, right. Right. Because, Uh It's 100 degrees out and stuff, but if the CEO wears that and I'm going to be interacting with the CEO, I'm going to try and match the CEO, you know, uh-huh. even though I can't. <laughs> like, his suit's <laughs> probably, like, as much as my salary. But, right, but, but, you know. right. <laughs> Have you ever heard the saying, first impressions are last impressions? Yep. Yeah, that's a good one. So, yeah, it was just like you were saying, like, you know. Uh, you you won't be the schlub in the the, the <laughs> jeans because everybody will remember that. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good saying. I like that. One. So since since you, um, because I don't think you've told our listeners you you actually work from home now. Mm-hmm. Um, how has that? How do you dress for work at home by working at home? Um, in the rare occasion that I need to be on camera, um, which isn't often, um, I will have dress shirts on and stuff. Uh, but 90% of the time when I'm working from home, uh-huh. I'm in just my clothes that I would wear usually. So, okay. so jeans, um, 
you know, I, I would say one of the things that's kind of changed about me over the years is Katie got me happy socks a few years ago. Uh-huh. And I never used to be a sock person. I always hated socks. I love. I hated how they felt like dress socks. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. They just, it, it, it triggered something in me of my mom making us go see our cousin's graduation at Ohio State in 1986. And I was in, you know, people that aren't aware when you have graduation at Ohio State, if the weather's nice enough, I mean, I guess it has to probably be pretty bad, but it's outside in the horseshoe, right? Right. And it, all I remember it being a thousand degrees and I had to wear a suit and I had to put on stupid dress socks <laughs> and every family around us, every single family around us. Must have got the memo that said, hey, when you're going to a graduation at Ohio State, bring a cooler of water and snacks and all this stuff. Make it like a picnic because you're going to be here for a really long ass time. Uh (laughs) (laughs) And so here's the Moyer family all suited up, blistering hot out. I can't even, you know, I'm probably asking every two minutes, is it done yet? Is it done yet? Is it done yet? Yeah. And... So eventually I'm complaining enough and my dad's like, fine, well, I'll take you to get a snack or water or something. And then he sees the lines and he was like, nope, <laughs> went right back up. <laughs> Uh, so anyways, I have this like triggered memory of these socks that yeah. like don't really stay up on my um, um, calves, you know, or they uh-huh. start out on the calves, but then they kind of lose their thing. Fast forward to about eight or nine years ago, Katie bought me these socks called happy socks Uh uh-huh and i absolutely love them because they add a little color so i'm able to color match my shirts or ties Uh uh-huh a a little bit you know sometimes you can just get that hint of where your cuff ends on your pant leg and and your dress shoe is showing so it's just that nice little addition um but i wear them all the time now and they work great for um just my day-to-day wear uh-huh. If I if I have a boot on, they're long socks, so I can pull them up, you know? Right, I mean, right. I won't wear them for running and stuff, because they are still long socks. But I have absolutely fallen in love with them. So so socks have become, like, an important part of my thing. And I'm looking at their things right now, and they have a lot of stupid socks. Like, oh, here's the Rolling Stones logo with the tongue. I, I would yeah. never buy that. Mine are normally, like, stripes or solid colors, or they might have polka dots on them or something. Right. Um. So I'll always wear those. Um. My shoes are pretty nice. I still wear nice shoes, but jeans are, you know, my my jeans. And the mm-hmm. shirts, for a while, I kind of went the opposite way. I was super dressing up. In Seattle, I still kind of dressed up. You know, I made sure my, my shirts were button shirts, et cetera. Even if I had jeans on, go outside, see people, always nice looking nice. But when I moved back to Athens, it's been like... <laughs> like I'll have my t-shirt on, you know, and it'll be like not even my nice t-shirts. It might be the t-shirt that I use on like a Saturday and stuff. Right. So right. over the past few months, I made a concerted effort to be like, okay, I need to get back into like where I was or at least have a nice fitted button shirt with yeah. my clothes. You know, that way if I last minute have to be on camera, I'm not like scrounging for something to put on. Right, know? right. What is your? We already know that Kevin rocks out to some classical music on his way to work. <laughs> um, but what is your commute to work like? How how long does it take you? It's kind of funny because I've taken every possible way I can get to work, 
and I've I've changed. So like I used to go just the highway and then I got tired of the morning traffic. So I would go down High Street and then cut across Henderson and you know I would do, I did that for a really long time. Yeah. And now I go probably the mileage wise the longest way mm-hmm. and it's about I want to say it's about maybe 10 minutes longer than the fastest way. But the, I've ne- I don't have to deal with congestion or anything yeah. like that. It, it's it's a pretty like chill just drive in. And yeah, there's a lots of lights and stuff like that, but it's never like heavy traffic. And so I just I kind of like it because I don't know, it just it, you just kind of I kind of like that kind of time to I don't know, like just kind of gather my thoughts for for the day and you uh-huh. know, just kind of you know, instead of being stressed out and being in traffic and stop and go traffic, I just kind of it's just kind of a nice, easy, mm-hmm. you know, transition into the morning. So yeah, that makes sense. E- even if it's stop and go with lights, it's at least expected, right? Yeah, you can see. Yeah. Oh, I'm at a light. It's something mentally taxing when the rubber band effect happens with traffic. Yeah, and absolutely. It's just like what happened was two miles ahead somebody slammed on their brakes too early right and yeah that caused this trigger effect right for the next two miles and, right um uh and i've i've heard that taking different ways to work or not necessarily work anywhere if you do something every day or consistently just mm-hmm. taking different ways does something in your brain that just kind of yeah. helps rejuvenate certain parts of it because it's right. like hey this is different you know and it like it does add this like pick pick me up type sauce yeah to it. Um, right. that is good for you and so yeah um, definitely going the, well, it, it kind of i just so i just recently read this article and it was talking about our perception of time and why we as we get older why we feel like time moves by quicker mm-hmm. and the the article basically said you know when you're young you're experiencing a lot of things for the for the first time so it's like all of these new things are happening to you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that kind of creates this sense of, of scale in kind of your your perception of time. Um, but as you kind of get later in life and you kind of get into this routine of things, time just clicks by. And mm-hmm. so they said one way to kind of uh, make things feel like they're longer um, is just by changing those little things. So like what you were saying, like just, just by changing your commute every now and then and work changes it up a little bit. Yes, you have your favorite restaurants or your favorite coffee shops, but just go to a new one. Go somewhere yeah. new, like experience something new kind of negates the the repetitiveness and mm-hmm. and kind of helps make time feel like it's not going by so quickly. Yeah. No, and and that right there kind of circles back to this show and us trying new beers every time. Yeah, uh-huh. And it's not that every beer we try is better than the last or the best beer ever. I mean, we still love Bush Light, right? <laughs> but the the trying new things, it, it does help with your brain, and it makes us yeah. think of different things. I mean, like, right. <laughs> you know... 
how many times can I say the same thing about a beer where I'm like, stop saying the same thing about a beer. So it's forcing me to say something different about a beer, right? <laughs> you know, uh-huh. like, and yeah. that's good for your brain um, to, to try new things and stuff. Right. I remember my commute from work when I was in DC was we purposely chose to live near a train station. And in particular, because this was my first like big city living experience, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted yeah. it to be as easy as possible for me. So I didn't want to have a lot of different train uh, switches and everything. And actually, D.C. is one of the, the easier cities to learn. It's not New York, right? Where, uh-huh. you know, get off this train and go over here and take this one. I mean, so we found the easiest path possible where I would take one train from Arlington and get off at one stop in D.C. And I would have to walk like two blocks. And that monotony would get to me sometimes. Uh huh. And when it would get to me is exactly similar to you when there'd be traffic, right? So you would be d- doing your highway path and then you'd hit traffic and you'd be like, oh my God. Like, yeah. And I think the worst part is, as you know, you get down to the minute how long it should take. Like on uh-huh. any normal morning, I should get in my car. Right. I close the garage at 732. I should show up at, uh, you know, I'm making this up at 803. Right. Uh-huh. That's when uh-huh. I should be showing up to work, you know, because I go this speed. I do this. I do this. Right. Uh, give or take 30 seconds. But it's when that traffic happens that it's like, what is happening? Even if it goes three minutes longer or four minutes, that's only four minutes. But it's still like grading on your your mental yeah. psyche for the day at work. Mm-hmm. And so when I would be on the metro and normally it would go, it would stop. Right. Go stop. Go stop. But then sometimes uh-huh. there'd be extra long stops. And then eventually it takes way too long for them to finally tell you what's going on. Oh, there's something wrong with the train in front of the worst was there was a lot of smoke in the tunnel one day. And of course Uh my mom like always monitors all the news of the places where I live. So in Seattle or (laughs) DC, so when something bad would happen, she'd be like, did you hear about that guy that jumped the fence and went into the white house and he was trying to kill Obama or something. And I was just like, yeah, I'm not like, yes, I'm like, technically close to the white house but i'm still like eight blocks away you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you know there was smoke in the, the 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 metro and one person died and so she would call me and make sure that i wasn't the person that died even though they said it was a 95 year old woman that just you know like had a heart attack or something right uh-huh. but when that would happen it would just like i'd be like oh my god i want to get off this train right because they would be hot especially in the summer i mean DC is so humid and you'd be suited up and I'm standing there like trying not to sweat. I'm like, don't sweat, don't sweat, (laughs) don't sweat. And so I would get off like, especially um, if I was headed home. And so when you would cross the Potomac river, there were like four more stops Mm -hmm. and that, and I'm going to forget the exact timing, but that would probably take another 10 minutes usually at most, to get to my stop. Well, this one time I was at the first stop into to Arlington and there was something like, there was just so many people. It was super backed up. And I was already on uh-huh. the train, so I could have stayed on the train, but the train just getting, kept getting packed and more packed and more yeah. packed. And we were uh-huh. stopped. And they were like, oh yeah, there's some problem up ahead. And I was just like, you know what? Screw this, I'm going to walk. And so I'm trying to get out. And of course, everybody else is like, yelling at me because I'm trying to like move and I'm like, I'm getting off the train and then you're, you're going onto the train walkway and there's shoulder to shoulder there. And I literally decided to walk, even though it still would have only taken maybe 20 minutes to get home. 
I decided to right. walk the 35 minutes because uh-huh. I was just so fed up with being on the train that, and I was sweating anyways at this point. So I sweat in the train shoulder to shoulder and having to deal with people bumping into me constantly, or I get to walk in a gorgeous day. You know, it might be 80 yeah. out, but uh-huh. it's good for me to walk. You know? right. So it's like those moments like that where I changed my commute just to make my headspace better at the end of the day. Where do you see yourself five, ten years from now? So I really like what I do now, and I feel like I can only improve on what I do, Um, especially look for uh, maybe maybe look for efficiencies that, you know, that we're not necessarily doing or um, really learning uh, like our CRM system to kind of help utilize that better and. So there's there's all these things that that I feel like I could could be doing, um, but I think like at least the the long term goal would definitely get my CFP designation, and even if I don't necessarily use it to kind of the 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 way um, the planners so. Basically, financial planners they can they can be um, you know actual planners and and meet with clients and stuff like that. However, bigger places need people that have that expertise that are not necessarily client facing. So, for instance, like a, a Vanguard or a Schwab or 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 a Fidelity or you know like they need CFPs on staff that are not necessarily meeting with people on a day-to-day basis. I mean they might have like a few clients here and there mm-hmm. um kind of as like a like a a personal business but they're kind of they're they're um kind of doing back office stuff but they still need that level of ex- expertise. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, like as far so I could see myself doing maybe something like that. But but I'm I'm not really sure. Like So would yeah. you so would you say Okay. Tomorrow you don't get, you don't win the lottery, but tomorrow somebody says, "Kevin, I'm going to pay you $100,000 a year to do this." Mm-hmm. what would this be? And this is like a veiled wrapping of what your dream job is. Now, I would like my dream job to be like play video games all day. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then every now and then like build some stuff. But right, that's not right. going to happen. So like let's keep it in reality of you get paid $100,000 a year to do anything but it has to be like wrapped in a, a, a quote unquote real job. What you're doing now, is that what you would see yourself doing or what do you think? Yeah, I think, I think it would be something, you know, what I'm doing now, but the, th- but the thing is, is it would be something that is hyper specialized in a certain aspect. Mm-hmm. So for, for those of, of the people that don't know, like, so financial planning is essentially a comprehensive approach to tax planning, estate planning, um, investment planning, uh, and then just general like budgeting, cash flow stuff. But then you also have like insurance planning. So I think what I would do is I would pick like kind of what I 
I find the most interesting. And I would say it, it would probably maybe be like estate planning or maybe investment planning and kind of just hyper-specialize in that aspect. Mm-hmm. That way, you know, because you can't... The, the field is so broad that you can't know everything about everything. And so you do need those people that are hyper-specialized in, in certain areas because you have very unique situations sometimes. Um, there's a law firm here in Columbus that one of the guys, he, he actually came and talked, and he is hyper-specialized in um, special needs trusts. So, for instance, if, if, if you would have a child that is special needs, they, they can qualify for certain government help. However, if you're of uh, a certain income threshold, well, then they don't qualify anymore. So you set up this special needs trust to kind of be able to have the child uh, benefit from the government subsidies, but also, you know, you still, you know, can help them out when you need them. So like this guy, for instance, like knew everything you could know about special needs and Mm -hmm. like if if somebody would have a child uh, you know if if somebody of means would have a child who has special needs they would go to this guy to talk about setting up a special needs trusts and stuff like that and so i think that essentially would be my dream job is to to find my niche mm-hmm. find something that really gets me going and learn every freaking thing i can learn about it one of the really cool things about being a graphic designer is you you can do a lot of freelance. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of opportunities to design a logo for someone, right? Or do X, Y, Z. Um, one of the people that I hired um, at a previous job, he recently designed the logo for the Bumblebee movie. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll link to his story there about it, but it's kind of crazy that in today's day and age, him being in Athens, Ohio, he was able to work on this logo. And it was such a cool thing for him to do, right? Um, And I think my dream job would be exactly what I'm doing right now. (laughs) It's kind of difficult, right? Because... I, you know, I still go into an office. It's, Uh it's not every day. Um, but you know, if people ask me at work, I'm like, well, I do work from home, right? Like it, it, you know, even if I go in once or twice a month, that's still me working from home a majority of the time. And truthfully, because it it benefits the company more, I'm not having to drive for an hour, you know, I'm able to focus on that. Right. Um, getting the work done right away. And and, tech, and truthfully, I put in a lot more hours than just the 8.30 to 5.30 that we're supposed to work. Um, it, it just, that's how it happens. It'll be 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock. So the, the, the positive and negatives of that are beside the point. But what I actually do, I love. But if I could, quote unquote, have a dream job, it would be if I could... The worst thing that can happen to a graphic designer is doing the same thing over and over again, right? 
Mm-hmm. Oh, you're only supposed to play in this environment. Okay, well, we have a new report that needs to be designed exactly like the old report. Okay, can you lay it out for us? Uh-huh. That is like soul-sucking. So any designer wants to work on new things, new challenges. And um, one of the great things about freelance is you get to work with different clients, different personalities, you know, um, different problems that you need to solve for. And so Mm -hmm. when a client has a new logo or something, you're like, oh, yeah, how am I going to tackle this? And obviously the goal is to hit it out of the park every single time. But sometimes mm-hmm. you might just be like, oh, man, I just cannot connect with these people. And that right. challenge is actually really kind of fun, um, even though it can be frustrating. So I think my dream job would be technically the same things I'm doing right now, like web development, email marketing, being an expert in the field. So one of the great things I love about where I'm at right now in my career is that I am an expert on certain things. I am. You know, like uh-huh. it, it, I'm not an entry level person when i was 10 15 years ago right now you know like right and i i hope i can continue to be an expert i hope you know 15 years from now there's not some new swing of stuff where i'm like no longer with it right like i i'm the i'm the 50 50 year old man that like people don't say stop coming to me about questions they go to the 30 year old person that knows the newest design trends or the newest um technical logical trends you know like right oh what's this what's this Instagram you kids are talking about? You know, like, cause like I have to design for Instagram. I have to design for uh-huh. LinkedIn. I have to design for Twitter and I have to be right. on top of all their little changes they make. Right. Of like, Hey, Twitter changed their image size last month for whatever reason for the 50th time. But now we know that we got to do it that way. You know, um, I really like knowing that stuff. And then there are little things uh-huh. that people might necessarily take for granted that knowledge but I really appreciate that they come to me and be like, well, Michael will know it. Um, right. So my goal is to always be that go-to person, right? Uh-huh. If someone uh-huh. has a question or like, how should we, what's the best way to record right. um, this thing? Well, a recent example is one of our uh, senior directors is being interviewed on a podcast, but he has to actually record his like little bio, like a 30 second bio about himself. Okay. And so people in San Francisco were like, well, what's the best way to record him? And I like sent him all these links and I was like, do this, 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 this. And I love that they reached out to me, right? Of Uh all the Uh 90,000 people in the company, they reached out to Michael in little Athens, Ohio, you know? And right. I want to be that go-to person, not just for my jobby job, but also for a lot of the freelance I do. I would love to just uh-huh. like make connections in Athens. And one of the, the things I love about Athens is its, its smallness. Even though it has 20-some thousand students, the city only being 9,000, it is a very small city, you know, small uh-huh. town. And so you get this smallness, but with like bigness attached, you know? Uh-huh. And I, yeah. I, I, I would love to... to to extend that knowledge um, to local people uh, right? and local businesses. Hey, right. you know what? Uh, having a graphical footer is great if you have this reason for it. You know, if you're directly marketing to someone, that's a good idea to have it. But if it's just a personal communication, leave it out, you know, um, right. that type of thing. Or or do this or this, you know, keep it simple. Right. Um, but yeah, but I, and so it's kind of like, I, I hope... My dream job is in that in 15 years from now, I'm still doing what I like doing, 
um, whether it's day to day, hey, I have to open PowerPoint and make a 30 slide presentation for someone that's presenting in front of someone. Don't know if I want right. to do that. Uh-huh. But the knowledge uh-huh. of me helping out in that presentation is, yeah. is good. Yeah. Because one of the things that I've actually learned a lot from in the last five years is if you had asked me six years ago, what makes a good presentation? And I would say, well, you can give me your presentation. I'll make it look better. Right? Like that was the expectation. Here, Michael, here's right. 30 slides. Make it look right. better. Uh-huh. Um, but over the f- past five years, I'll be like, nope, I'm not just going to make it look better. I want you to walk me through this presentation. Right? Like like you're giving it to me. Yeah. And it kind of calls back to your wanting to like listen to people and you tell me your story because you learn better from that. And, and right. that's one of the greatest things you can learn as a designer is to listen to what people actually want. They think they might want something. They think they might want Starburst over everything. <laughs> right. But then when they're right. talking about, you know, a death, the death of their grandma – why is Starburst being brought into this? You know, like, uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> and you know they might be like, oh, well, and I'm not sure. And it's like, well, right, you know, your grandma right. loved flowers. Maybe we should use flowers instead. And then they'd be like, oh my god, you're right. I never even thought about that. And yeah. that's why they go to you as a designer is like, they're right. tr- you're trying to tell their story, uh, right. whatever it is, right? Marketing or whatever and stuff. So, right, yeah. So hopefully, knock on wood, um, 15 years from now, 30 years from now, um, you know, I'm still happy with you know presenting information in the way that right. i do um, uh-huh. and i'd be very fortunate if i'm able to do this for the next 15 30 years because uh-huh. we're definitely in a different world you know like our parents the idea was you find one good job that pays well and has a good pension and does all this <laughs> stuff that's yeah doesn't exist anymore for anyone um right anyone right. everywhere in the united states so yeah, I like to say nine to five till sixty five is dead. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I've, I and what's sad about our world now is there is no more promotion. Really, like, if you want more pay, you have to switch jobs. There's been so many studies over the past like twenty years that that's that's our world now in the United States. You want right. a, you want more money? Yeah, you could ask for it. You might get two percent, but that's like inflation right you should be getting two percent anyways um, right at any uh-huh. job but if you actually think you're worth something more the only way you're going to get it with all these companies making all these billions of dollars is to actually change jobs and truthfully that's mm-hmm. the only way i've ever gotten huge pays raises because i've had right. to change jobs <laughs> let's see let's go let's start go, so um yeah since 2010 i've had one two three i've had four jobs in nine years and I'm making double what I was nine years ago. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I'm making double is because I actually changed jobs. You know? Yeah. And each uh-huh. job I like strategically was like, is this going to be good for me? I wasn't just like, eh, fuck this job, you know? Yeah. But yeah. I did like think like, is this going to be good for me changing jobs and doing this? And Right. Thankfully, um, I'm extremely lucky it has worked out. You know, and again, I'm super lucky because I got to come back to Athens and I'm working from home. Yeah. Um, you know, going into the Columbus office every now and then, which right. is very fortunate or I'm super fortunate for that. But and I'm never right. going to look that gift horse in the mouth, you know, but at the same time, I work for this. I'm really good at what I do. You know, <laughs> like I'm not like slacking off and in slumped into this job you know so yeah. i want to continue yeah. to be good at what i do i want to continue to be that right. expert and that go-to person and right you know that's my goal in life 
Do you ever, you know, think you'll get to a point where, you know, maybe this is kind of end of career uh, type of stuff because I know, so like, for instance, we have a lot of clients, um, well, not a lot of clients, but some clients that are kind of semi-retired. So they're, they're retired, they're, they're collecting their pension, they're collecting social security, you know, whatnot, but they're still employed with a company mm-hmm. as a consultant yeah. and they do consulting work. And, and it's because those companies want their expertise that they want their, you know, 45 years, 50 years of knowledge about stuff. And so could you ever see yourself doing something like that where you're just kind of like a design consultant? Um, You're not actually designing, but you're just kind of saying, I think that looks good. No, change that, you know, do that, you know, those type of things. So I don't think I would, I mean, I would love to do that. I think that would be amazing. And I don't think that Uh would ever be possible with design. um, Okay. Because like design consultant, you technically have... Any company, well, over a certain size has brand guidelines, right? And that's mm-hmm. essentially the Bible for their brand. Um, okay. And it says, hey, this Coke logo should only appear this way. It should only be red on white. But then when, um, if it needs to be on a colored background, never put it on blue, you know, because that's too close to Pepsi. It can only be on, I'm uh-huh. making this up, but it, it can okay. only be on black. And then you have to invert it so it's a black background with a white logo, you know, don't ever have any elements within so-and-so distance from the Coke logo, you know, all this type of stuff. So technically, you could hand that to any designer and say, here's here's the Bible, this is the foundation, follow it, and then you design new stuff around it, right? So I I don't know if I would ever be a consultant for design, but the one thing that I do think I could do and is consulting on events, um, my company puts on massive events, multi-million dollar events where clients come in, mm-hmm. hundreds of clients, et cetera. There are so many little things that happen at these events that they happen so fast that most people don't even know they happen, right? It's like right. a lot of people show up to the event and they just think, oh, this must have been easy to put on, you know, like the little door signs above the thing the, that say the event or the session name, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, there's mm-hmm. a digital monitor to the left of the door sign. Does the new event place actually have digital monitors? Okay. Are we able to put our own graphic on there? Because most places will be like, oh, yeah, send us the title and we'll change it. But it'll be like the Hilton or the Hyatt, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, no, we want to take over the whole screen. And a lot of places yeah. will do it. But that's something that's not thought. So there's like a huge list of Hey, have you guys asked about this? Have you asked about this? Oh, wait, they have this type of ceiling? Well, can we do drop-down stuff? Can we do this? Uh And Uh generally, what will happen with these type of events is the events team will plan this stuff, and they know a lot of these questions, but they'll ask specific venues, like... What can we do here? You know, and a lot of times you default to just the default stuff. Oh, we'll have some pop-up banners and stuff, but that never looks great. But like as a right. designer or as specifically an event designer, you can walk through the space and go, you know what we could do here? Instead of doing the pop-up banners, why don't we do those banners that we did in Chicago three years ago? And then it's like, oh, yeah, you're right. Let's do that. Yeah. And those were those were only this much, so let's put that in the budget. And so you can like... And so I can completely see myself designing 
in that regard as a consultant of being like, I would love to be like, hey, we have these six big events a year, Michael. Uh-huh. We would love you only to like focus the two months before each event. You know, there's a lot of overlap in the events. So probably like, let's say six months out of the year, you're consulting with my company. I would, that would be amazing. I would yeah, full mm-hmm. stop if I was retired. <laughs> and because then, you know, what's awesome about consulting is you charge, you know, a ton. Because if you work for yeah. a company like my size, they're paying benefits. You know, they're, they're good benefits. But that is always included in salaries, right? They say, oh, we're going to pay you $50,000 a year. Oh, but look at all these benefits you're getting. You're getting a 401k. We match up to you know 6%, 50% of that. Uh, you get uh, health insurance. But they're including that in your salary, really. So that's what you have to take that in, into account. That, mm-hmm. yes, they're paying you 50000 but really the benefits are worth X amount, right? Let's just say right. 20000 So really, right. with the benefits, you're making 70000 Well, when you're a contractor, you're not getting any of that stuff. They're not paying your taxes. They're not paying you know any of that stuff. So that's why you, as a contractor... You say, you know what? I was making fifty thousand with you before. I'm going to charge you the equivalent hourly of one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. But since I'm only working six months out of the year, you know, it works out. Works out for everyone because yeah, they're not having to do all that stuff that they won't really want to do, right? Right. Right. (laughs) All right, Kevin. Are you ready for another?